Matt Damon is not really a secret government assassin with amnesia. He just plays one in the movies. Tom Cruise is not really an ace fighter pilot at the Navy's elite top gun school. He just plays one in the movies. And Donald Trump is not a billionaire. He just played one on television. In 2016, Donald Trump paid $750 in taxes. How much did you pay? Well, I don't make much money, but I paid more than that. Nice, huh? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio. Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We got a lot to get to today. I'll see how much I can actually fit into this one program, Desi Doyen. Hi, Des. <laughs> you mean there's a lot of news today for a change? Yeah, for a change. Busy news day. Go figure. Actually, we have got some big news, some shocking news, some disturbing news. And no, it's not the big, shocking and disturbing news that Donald Trump paid only $750 in federal income tax. In 2016, while he was running for president, or that he paid only $750 in federal income tax in the first year of his presidency, or that he paid zero in federal income tax in 10 of the 15 years prior to that. The big disturbing uh, shocking news is not even that he took a $79 million refund one year that he may now have to pay back with interest that could amount to about $100 million in total, along with more than $400 million in personal loans that he is on the hook for and will have to pay back within the next four years, even if he wins a second term. 
or that the, he made huge amounts of income from foreign countries while serving as president of the United States, including from countries like Turkey and India and the Philippines, or that he appears to be the worst businessman quite literally in America. No, that news from the New York Times on Sunday is not the big, shocking, disturbing news I was talking about. The big, shocking, disturbing news that I hope to get to a bit later comes out of Georgia, and it's news you have probably not heard anywhere else where late on Friday the Secretary of State's office informed election officials in all 159 counties in the states in the state that they should stop immediately, stop their pre-election testing of the state's new $100 million uh, unverifiable touchscreen voting systems because of an error that they found on the databases in all 159 counties and that they'll get back to them soon, maybe, Monday, Tuesday, who knows, with a fix. All of this just 39 days before uh, Election Day and just two weeks before early voting is set to begin in that battleground state. As a federal judge, as we have uh, long been reporting on this program, uh, is uh, considering a ruling on whether the state should move to hand-marked paper ballots entirely at the precincts instead in response to that uh, long-running federal lawsuit against those dangerous new machines that we have been covering now for years on this program. Anyway, you probably haven't heard about that news unless you read my uh, unless you read my Twitter feed where you'll find me at the Brad blog, but I'll tell you it left me uh, repeating over and over again all weekend long and and Desi can attest to this. Just I was just going walking around going, "Wow. Wow." And some other choice wow. words that we can't say on that the radio. That we can't say on the radio, yeah. Uh, and th- this uh, story, as I said, hope to get to it in a bit, uh, should be a heads up for any jurisdiction, including my own, here in Los Angeles County, where they are forcing all voters to use new, easily manipulated, 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems at polling places this year. Shamefully. Anyway, we'll get to that in a bit, at least I hope. But first, on Friday, the Washington Post reported that a majority of Americans oppose efforts by President Donald Trump and the Republicans uh, in the Senate to fill a Supreme Court vacancy before the presidential election, with most supporters of Democratic candidate Joe Biden saying that the issue has raised the stakes of the election for them. That, according to a Washington Post ABC News poll, That poll, conducted Monday to Thursday of last week, finds just 38 Americans, I'm sorry, 38 percent of Americans say that the uh, replacement for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died a week ago last Friday, but has still not yet been buried as of airtime today, to my knowledge, just 38 percent say that a replacement should be nominated by Trump and confirmed by the current Senate, while 57 percent of Americans say it should be left to the winner of the presidential election and a Senate vote next year. Partisans are deeply divided on the issue, according to this poll, though clear majorities of political independents, 61 percent of them, in fact, and of women, 64 percent, say the next Justice should be chosen by the winner of this fall's election, including about half of each group who feel this way strongly. On Sunday, the New York Times, 
they reported similar findings from their own poll. They found a clear majority of voters believes the winner of the presidential election should fill the Supreme Court seat. According to a national poll conducted by The New York Times and Siena College, a sign of the political peril, they say, that President Trump and Senate Republicans are courting by attempting to rush through an appointment before the end of the campaign. In their survey of likely voters taken in the week leading up to Trump's nomination on Saturday of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the high court, 56 percent said they prefer to have the election act as sort of a referendum on the vacancy. Just 41 percent say they wanted Donald Trump to choose a justice before November. More striking, the voters, the uh, voters, Trump and endangered Senate Republicans must reclaim to close the gap in the polls are even more opposed to the hasty pick. 62 percent of women, 63 percent of independents and 60 percent of college educated white voters said they wanted the winner of the campaign to fill the seat. The poll suggests that Trump would reap little political benefit from a clash over abortion rights. Fifty six percent said they would be less likely to vote for Trump if his justice would help overturn Roe v. Wade, while just 24 percent said they would be more inclined to vote for him. So, uh, yeah, the idea of a fiercely right wing jurist uh, is not a good one, uh, at least not for the majority of American voters, at least in what they say in poll after poll. Moreover, new polling from NBC Marist also released on Sunday suggests that voters in several specific battleground states are also opposed to what Trump and Republicans are now attempting to do by jamming through uh, Amy Coney Barrett's nomination before the election. Majorities of likely voters in Michigan and Wisconsin say that the winner of the 2020 presidential election should get to fill the U.S. Supreme Court seat left vacant after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, Those are the results of the two new NBC Marist uh, polls of those two battlegrounds, which show Biden ahead of Trump by eight points among likely voters in Michigan and by 10 points in Wisconsin. In Michigan, 54 percent of likely voters say the winner of the presidential contest should decide who gets to fill uh, fill uh, fill the Supreme Court. And it's similar in Wisconsin, where 56 percent say the election winner should fill the Supreme Court seat. In both states, nine in 10 Democrats and approximately 60 percent of independents believe the winner of the 2020 uh, election should fill the seat, while 80 percent of Republicans say Trump should get to fill it immediately. But those so-called independents, they're the ones who are likely to ultimately decide this year's elections in the key battleground states, setting aside for the moment Trump and the Republicans hope of using the Supreme Court to help them steal the elections somehow by hook or by crook. The polls uh, were conducted before Saturday when Trump nominated Seventh Circuit Appeals Court Judge Amy Coney Barrett to fill the seat with Election Day just 40 days away. Less than that, in fact. That after Republicans in the U.S. Senate spent the entirety of 2016 following the death of Justice Antonin Scalia, explaining how, as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said at the time, the American people should have a voice in deciding the next Supreme Court justice. 
Because voting in the presidential primaries that year had already begun. This year, more than 20 states have already begun voting in the actual general election, which uh, is just 36 days from today, or at least it ends 36 days from today, or at least voting ends 36 days from today. I suspect the counting will thereafter continue for quite a while. By way of reminder of the Republicans back in 2016, uh, here are some of the, just some of the uh, uh, senators back then making very clear that it was inappropriate to appoint a new justice to the Supreme Court until the American people had a chance to weigh in on, at the ballot box. As they insisted, that was the right thing to do, to not seat anybody on the court for a full year since Scalia had died almost 300 days before that year's November election. Here was some of those Republicans at the time. There is a long tradition that you don't do this in an election year. I don't think we should be moving forward on a nominee in the last year of this president's term. I would say that if it was a Republican president. The American people ought to have a say who sits in that Supreme Court seat. Why would we deny the voters a chance to weigh in on the makeup of the Supreme Court? We're not going to nominate a Supreme Court justice until the people have spoken. Let the new president make this lasting decision without the political influence of the election hanging over it. Of course, that was then when Republicans were pretending. This is now when the pretense is gone and has been replaced with yet another unapologetic, hypocritical Republican power grab, because that is what they do. And the sooner Democrats in the House and the Senate begin realizing that, the better. On Saturday, Donald Trump made it official, naming his nominee for what will become a six to three right wing Supreme Court. She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution, Judge Amy Coney Barrett. In the uh, Rose Garden ceremony, Donald Trump named Barrett uh, to the Supreme Court, capping a dramatic reshaping of the federal judiciary that will resonate for a generation and that he hopes to see provide a needed boost to his reelection effort. Barrett is a former clerk to the late Justice Antonin Scalia. Said she, uh, she said she was, quote, truly humbled by the nomination, and she quickly aligned herself with Scalia's hard-right approach to the law, saying, quote, his judicial philosophy is mine, too. Barrett, who is 48 years old, was joined in the Rose Garden by her husband and seven children. If confirmed by the Senate, she would uh, fill the seat vacated by Ruth Bader Ginsburg and become the sharpest ideological swing since Clarence Thomas replaced Justice Thurgood Marshall nearly three decades ago. She would be the sixth justice on the nine-member court to be appointed by a Republican president and the third of Donald Trump's first term in office. No court nominee has been considered so close to a presidential election ever before in the history of our country, with early voting already underway. Nonetheless, Trump encouraged legislators to take up her nomination swiftly and asked Democrats to, quote, refrain from personal and partisan attacks. Because, you know, that's what he always does. 
Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, who insisted in 2016 that it was a new Republican rule that Supreme Court nominees would never be considered in a presidential election year and that we should hold it against him if he ever said otherwise in the future, that same Senator Lindsey Graham... Uh, who, by the way, is tied, according to the latest polling in his re-election run against Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison in South Carolina. Hello, South Carolina. That same Senator Lindsey Graham is the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee now, and he told Fox News on Sunday that the committee plans on starting confirmation hearings for Barrett on October 12th and will approve her nomination, not vote to approve, but will approve her nomination on October 22 in the committee, setting up a full Senate vote to send the uh, Barrett nomination to the Supreme Court by the end of this, uh, actually, by the end of October, before Election Day. Senate Democratic leaders uh, Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi warned that a vote to confirm Barrett to the high court would be a vote to strike down the Affordable Care Act, a challenge to which is being heard by the high court just 10 days after Election Day this year, as Republicans in the White House are hoping that the stolen Republican Supreme Court will strike down the landmark health care law finally, once and for all, in its entirety, root and branch, as they like to say, removing health care insurance from some 20 to 30 million Americans in the middle of a pandemic and denying hundreds of millions of Americans the protections against being denied or charged more for insurance due to pre-existing conditions. That's a protection built into the core of the 2010 Obamacare law, and it applies to every American. Chuck Schumer said Justice Ginsburg must be turning over in her grave to see that the person they chose seems to be intent on undoing all of the things that Ginsburg did. But of course, when Chuck Schumer said that, Justice Ginsburg had not yet even been buried yet, to my knowledge, as her funeral at Arlington National Cemetery was not scheduled to happen until this week. Yes, Republicans could not even wait for Ginsburg to be buried after her 27 years on the high court and her much longer remarkable career as a legendary champion for equal rights for all. Joining us now to discuss all of this, uh, who Amy Coney Barrett actually is and what comes next or should for Democrats and for the American people as we continue to be railroaded by a shameful, unapologetic, dishonest, corrupt, hypocritical Republican Party is one of the broadcast's favorite longtime Supreme Court correspondents and legal journalists, the great Mark Joseph Stern of Slate.com, who I know had a particular fondness for the late justice. Mark Joseph Stern, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. You have been here for some horrible news over the years out of the Supreme Court, uh, but this may be a very uh, special kind of horrible today, I think. Well, thank you so much for having me on, as always. I think this is the worst Supreme Court news you and I have ever discussed, which is really saying something. <laughs> yes, it um, is. And, in fact, is probably the end of the Supreme Court as we know it, uh, but we'll get to that. It's certainly the end of an era, and um, there is not a whole lot of options for what comes next. It's basically either Democrats fight or Democrats give up, and there's not a whole lot of middle grounds. 
Well, you know, last week, uh, before she, uh, before Amy Coney Barrett was nominated, uh, you had predicted that she was likely going to be uh, Trump's choice. You warned that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death presents Donald Trump with an opportunity to transform the U.S. far beyond most Americans' comprehension. Replacing the justice with a conservative would mark the single most consequential act of Donald Trump's presidency. It would doom policies and precedents that have come to form a cornerstone of American law. And you added that it's not hard to foresee what the court could accomplish if Justice Brett Kavanaugh becomes the swing vote. Yes, Brett Kavanaugh would now be the swing vote sitting at the court's center. So just to give you an idea about how far to the right the court is about to be lurched. Mark, you have written a lot about Amy Coney Barrett, so let me just open the floor here to you. What do Americans need to know right now about Barrett as a judge and as the uh, new Supreme Court justice and what it will mean for the court and the country? First, they need to know that Donald Trump has selected her for the express purpose of handing him the election by nullifying enough Democratic votes to secure him a second term. He has said that out loud on multiple occasions. We have every reason to believe that that was his chief criterion in selecting Barrett. Number two, we need to know that she is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. She is going to allow states to ban abortion, to punish and prosecute women who terminate their pregnancies, and even to let Congress ban abortion nationwide so that no state can give people access to the procedure. Number three, we need to know that she is against almost any kind of gun control law, including basic gun safety laws that keep violent uh, criminals from obtaining firearms. Number four, she does not believe in the right to vote. She believes that states should be able to strip individuals of their right to participate in democracy for arbitrary and discriminatory reasons. Number five, she does not support LGBTQ equality. She rejects the idea of same-sex marriage. She does not even believe it's real marriage, so far as we can tell. Number six, she is going to strip our federal laws of all environmental and labor regulations that have basically any effect. She is going to abolish the federal government's ability to regulate carbon emissions, mercury, lead, to protect workers from labor exploitation. She is going to remake this entire country's law in a way that might satisfy a robber baron of the 1800s, but will make everyone else feel rightly like they are living in the Dark Ages. Oh, is that all? <laughs> you know, Mark, oh, I, more. I, I know there is. And let me just say this uh, for for folks who, uh, you know, may not listen to the broadcast every day, who may not listen to, uh, you know, I've interviewed Mark, I don't know, dozens of times now over the years. Mark, uh, in that in giving that list, you kind of sound like a crazy man. You kind of sound uh, like, a you know, just a hysterical lefty liberal Democrat. But, I, I you know, I want to let people know. 
that Mark Joseph Stern is usually the one who talks me off the ledge. And so to hear uh, that description of where we are now headed at this point uh, should be somewhat chilling to everyone listening to this show. Uh, Mark, you explained uh, eloquently how uh, Ginsburg viewed the Bill of Rights and Civil Rights, uh, the Civil Rights Act, as, as generous guarantees of human dignity that must be read expansively to achieve their purpose. By contrast, you note, Barry its view of the law is fundamentally cruel. How so? What does that mean? It seems as if every time there are two plausible interpretations of the law, and one of them expands rights and one of them contracts rights, one of them helps the powerless or helps minorities, and one of them doesn't, Amy Coney Barrett always chooses the crueler interpretation, the one that gives people fewer rights the one that hurts more people. She has voted, for instance, to reinstate a law that forced young women to notify their parents before getting an abortion, even if they went before a judge who ruled that they were mature enough to make the decisions themselves. Okay, she wrote that people convicted of felonies have a Second Amendment right to own firearms, and then went out of her way to say that they should not be allowed to vote because voting is, you know, not a real constitutional right. It's just conditional on whether the government thinks you're a good citizen, okay? Unlike owning a gun, which everyone has a fundamental right to do. Mm. She has written over and over uh, to narrow non-discrimination laws, to uh, prevent people from alleging age discrimination uh, when they're turned away from a job because of their age, um, to narrow uh, prohibitions on racial discrimination in the workplace, including actual segregation in the workplace between people of different races. Her votes are extremely consistent. You might even say that they are principled, but the principle here is that the law should not have help people who are powerless, who are minorities, who are disfavored in this country, that the law is a plaything of the wealthy and the powerful to crush all of those who might stand in their way. The GOP uh, already has on this court, Mark Joseph Stern, a five to four. Well, they already had before uh, Ginsburg passed away. They had a five to four majority, uh, which, as I've said many times, was stolen right now. Um, since her passing, they have a five to three advantage, even without a new justice seated. How much of a difference, therefore, will adding one more so-called conservative to the bench actually make here that they have to rush this through that quickly? It will make a huge difference because, as we've talked about on this show, Chief Justice John Roberts is extremely conservative by any standard. He absolutely sits on the far-right fringe of what I would consider acceptable, uh, like, mainstream jurisprudence. But he is not a hack, and he is not a partisan, okay? He believes that he has a responsibility to preserve the legitimacy and the institutional prestige of the Supreme Court. And for that reason, you will occasionally see him cross part lines to join the liberals in cases that threaten the court's legitimacy as a neutral arbiter of the law. For instance, of course he has voted to save the Affordable Care Act twice. 
he voted to uh, keep the citizenship question off the census in 2020. He voted to preserve DACA to prevent the Trump administration from deporting 800,000 Dreamers. He has occasionally crossed over in really important cases that, you know, they might be fairly rare, but they make a huge difference for our democracy. I could keep giving examples. Uh, there, there are several decisions involving Trump's attempt uh, to basically deport a bunch of mm-hmm. uh, asylum seekers and refugees, right, mm-hmm. to keep people out of the country who have a legal right to be here. John Roberts is willing to draw a line there and say, no, Trump can't do this. And then if Amy Coney Barrett joins the court and there are five other conservative justices, John Roberts can't do anything to stop them. You know, if there is a sixth conservative, then there are five conservative justices to basically sign off on whatever the Republican Party wants. And John Roberts cannot stand in their way. So otherwise, there would have been uh, if uh, Roberts crossed over with the uh, with the uh, Democratic appointees, you'd end up with four, four ties in many cases. And which, you know, kind of seems fair that you end up with a 4-4 tie even when you have a 5-3 advantage already. But I guess they need to stack the deck. Mark, i got to get to a, a, a break here shortly. I'm hoping you can stick around for one more quick segment. But uh, you mentioned that this is all about the election. Uh, if this is jammed through, as expected at this point, and I see nothing that's going to stop it, shouldn't Amy Coney Barrett recuse herself from any questions regarding the presidential election since she was just appointed by this president. And and will she do that? She absolutely should do that. But I do not believe that she will for the simple reason that I think Trump and his team probably screened her for that. I think when they were choosing a a, a nominee here, they probably sought someone who would not only support him in all election litigation, but would make sure that she was on the bench to, you know, call balls and strikes, as John Roberts put it, and make sure that Trump won. So I think Democrats should demand that she recuse, but unfortunately, I doubt she will. And if she doesn't, there's really nothing that anybody can I know that there are rules for when a federal judge must recuse themselves, but there's nothing for uh, there's no rules for when a Supreme Court justice must recuse themselves, as I understand it. Uh, hopefully you can confirm that. And also, uh, didn't Justice Elena Kagan recuse herself from one of the I think it was one of the previous Affordable Care Act cases before the court because she had just been in the Obama administration during its passage? Am I remembering that correctly? So there are no binding rules on the Supreme Court uh, because there's no one who can enforce them, right? The justices have decided that they get to make these decisions themselves. So in, in essence, there are no rules. Um, Justice Kagan did not recuse herself from the Affordable Care Act case because, and she documented this, she did not participate in it uh, behind the scenes when she was Solicitor General. She has recused from a ton of other cases that she was involved in, even just a little bit, Mm -hmm. even if some email happened to cross her desk about the case while she was in the Solicitor General's office, she recused herself. We do not see the conservatives recusing themselves as consistently as the liberals. There is a real asymmetry here that should bother us a lot. Well, we are bothered. Let's take a bothered break and we'll come back with Mark Joseph Stern and talk about what, if anything, can be done about this, either to uh, uh, to stop the confirmation, which seems unlikely, or the notion of, yes, expanding the court to make up 
uh, essentially for the way uh, uh, Democrats and I would argue the American people have been robbed over these past four years. We'll take a quick break. Come back with Mark Joseph Stern. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to The Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, still manning the watchtower. Glad you could uh, come back and join us. Mark Joseph Stern, the great legal uh, reporter who covers the law, the court system, U.S. Supreme Court, election law, and much more for Slate.com, is here with us. Uh, Mark, I want to talk about what can or should be done right now to uh, not just save the court, but to save the nation. That said, uh, our friend Morris from Long Beach, I didn't even give out the uh, phone number, but he called in with a question. Let me ask that. Uh, let him have uh, that question, and I suspect you will have a, a response to him. Uh, hey, Morris, welcome to the broadcast. Got a question for our friend Mark Joseph Stern? Yeah, yes, Mr. Stern. Uh, I think what we need to do is go ahead and impeach the president right now. We've got more than enough issues, uh, articles to bring against him right now. Basically, what we want to do is put those senators uh, on blast right now, okay? We want to play the the game of uh, who's controlling the narrative, impeach him right now. We got more than enough information, and I know Brad Freeman paid more than $750 for his taxes. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Uh, thanks, Mo. Uh, Mark, a lot of people have been talking about the idea that if you uh, send over an impeachment from the House, that immediately stops all business in the Senate, and they have to deal with that impeachment, theoretically hold a trial before they could move on uh, to confirming a new justice to the Supreme Court. Your response, your to that? So, look, let's be clear. Trump has committed so many impeachable offenses. Of course, House Democrats always have grounds to impeach him again, right? Their previous impeachment did not cover the waterfront. I would not be opposed to Democrats considering an impeachment. I would not be opposed to them using it as a delay tactic. I do not think that it will work. Because the reality is that Mitch McConnell still has total control over the Senate. He has an iron grasp on that chamber, and he can easily manipulate the rules to hold a 60-second trial, uh, have his caucus acquit Donald Trump again, and then vote for Amy Coney Barrett. So while I think that the, the, the Democrats in Congress should be thinking about all of the spaghetti that they can throw into this machine to try to gunk it up, I, at the end of the day, McConnell holds the cards and they still need to have a plan B. Yeah, that, uh, the notion that a trial must be held immediately, as I understand it, is actually the, uh, based on Senate rules. It's not in exactly. the Constitution. And uh, as uh, Mitch McConnell has shown, he is more than happy to change the Senate rules to get whatever he wants. It used to be a filibuster you'd have to overcome in order to uh, get someone on the Supreme Court. Well, Mitch McConnell tossed that out uh, with the, uh, I think it, w- I think it was with Gorsuch, uh, if I recall, wasn't it, that he uh, tossed yeah. out the uh, filibuster for Supreme Court justices? All right, Mark, I see no way 
uh, at this point to correct any of this. I wish I did, but I see no way to correct any of it beyond expansion of the court to 13 justices in order to allow uh, liberals to have the majority that they should rightly have that they should have had in 2016 uh, that was stolen from them. How about you? I absolutely agree, and I would say that expanding the court is the moderate option here. It is the middle ground. It is the proportional response. It is constitutional hardball, but as we all should know, it is obviously permitted by the Constitution. And given that Republicans' new rule is that parties can use all tools at their disposal to capture the Supreme Court, I think Democrats would be fools and cowards not to turn around and say, we have a tool that we can use. It's called court expansion, and we are adding four new justices. Anything less than that would essentially be lying down and letting Republicans stomp on their faces. Again, it is the moderate option. There are more positions here that Democrats could take, like eliminating positions on the Supreme Court, eliminating justices' seats, Mm. uh, or even trying to strip the court of jurisdiction to hear cases. But the expansion option should be the very first one that Democrats try, because it has been done in the past, it has a real history here, and it's so obviously legal. Democrats should not overthink this. They should do what the Constitution allows and meet Republicans tit for tat, retaliate by expanding the court, and hope that that puts both parties at a stalemate where we leave the court alone for the time being. Well, and of course, uh, Democrats, there are Democrats who have said, well, this will you know, lead to an endless, uh, it will inflame everything, it will lead to an endless cycle of court expansion every time. Uh, you know, when the Republicans come back in, they'll do the same thing. Uh, it will ultimately delegitimize the court entirely. What's your response to that? There is literally no worse option than having Amy Coney Barrett as the leader of six conservative justices out of nine. Even if this happens, this future where the court loses its legitimacy, where constitutional decision-making devolves back to the democratically elected branches, we will be better off than living in a world where the Supreme Court is controlled by extremists who hold a truly frightening dogma about uh, politics and the law that will basically put us back to the 1930s, if not earlier, in terms of where we are on social legislation in this country. I think that it is possible that Republicans could come back and try to expand it. Maybe that just means Democrats have to play the same game. I'm not convinced it will immediately delegitimize the court. But again, you have to compare all of those futures against the one that we're facing now. And the one we're facing now is so apocalyptic that I think Democrats have an obligation to their voters and to the country to at least try this. And yet, Mark, I don't see Democrats pushing for that. And, and you know, now we sort of get into the politics, uh, which you may or may not want to jump into. But is it because the Democrats are too cowardly or because they perhaps smartly uh, want to avoid making this an election issue? Are they going to stay away from it uh, or are they planning to do it, but they just want to be quiet about it so they... So they don't give something uh, something else to Fox News to rail about between now and November 3rd. Uh, I certainly hope it's the latter. Um, I fear that there are a number of cowards in the Senate Democratic caucus, including some who are willing to meet 
with Amy Coney Barrett, which just seems beyond the pale to me. She should be treated as an illegitimate nominee. For Democrats to actually sit down with her and give her that courtesy just strikes me as outrageous and unilateral disarmament. I certainly hope that behind the scenes, Chuck Schumer is talking to his caucus and preparing them for the fact that everything they want to pass if they win the Senate will be struck down by a Supreme Court with six conservatives. From fixing the Affordable Care Act and expanding it to regulating carbon and climate uh, to criminal justice reform even, it's all going to be on the chopping block. And so all of that is pretty much a non-starter if they don't begin by expanding the court on January 21st. At the announcement of her uh, nomination in the Rose Garden on Saturday uh, with the flags still at half staff for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who I don't believe has even yet been buried. Are you able to? No, she has not. She has has not. not Which is just amazing to me. Uh, In in any event, uh, uh, at her nomination ceremony on Saturday, Barrett said that she would be, quote, mindful of who came before me. She praised Ginsburg as a trailblazer for women and for her friendship with uh, Scalia, because uh, Ginsburg was said to have been uh, friends with uh, Justice Scalia, saying, quote, she, w- she has won the admiration of women across the country and indeed all across the world. Uh, should uh, we or do you take any comfort from those remarks at all, Mark? And I'm, or the reason I'm asking is because, you know, uh, Barrett has a record. Um, on the lower courts. A lot of times we have seen over the years, uh, justices, once they're named to the Supreme Court, they have uh, a, a different view of things once they're sitting on the high court. Does any of that, should any of that give us any comfort at this point? Absolutely not. We'd have to be true fools to take any comfort in that. She is playing the game that she learned very well on her path to this moment in life. She understands that she has to say nice things about Justice Ginsburg, that she has to present herself as a sensible uh, and decent person in order to get through the next couple of weeks and onto the court, at which point she can do anything she wants because she's insulated for life. She will uh, claim at her hearings that she has respect for Justice Ginsburg. She will claim that she has not made up her mind about a number of key constitutional issues. She will be lying. Just like Brett Kavanaugh was lying before her, and Democrats should not believe a word of it. Of course she had to praise Ginsburg, given that her body was not even in the ground at that nomination ceremony. But at the same time, let's remember that the White House literally decorated the Rose Garden to look like it did when Clinton nominated Ginsburg as a way to troll liberals who are still traumatized by the late justice's death. Okay, none of this is being done in good faith, and we have absolutely no reason to believe a word that any of these people are telling us. And there was no reason that Amy Coney Barrett couldn't have said when she was uh, interviewed uh, for this, I would be honored, I would be delighted to take the post. However, I'm not sure that I could accept the nomination at this time before uh, Justice Ginsburg has been buried. She could have done that, correct? She did not. She chose to not do that. What does that tell us about her? I guess going back to your fundamentally cruel uh, criticism. It tells us everything we need to know, which is that she places her own will to power over basic human decency. I mean, an 87-year-old legal giant's family and friends 
and, and millions of fans are still mourning. The woman hasn't been buried, and she says, absolutely, I will go out there at this trollish ceremony and accept your nomination. I, I doubt she personally cares, because what she wants is power, the ability to wield it however she chooses. That is why she accepted this nomination. That is why she has been a Federalist Society star for more than two decades. That is how she got to where she is right now. Let's not let ourselves have any kind of illusions about what kind of person could reach this position of power under Donald Trump. Not any kind of person who actually deserves to have it. Last question for you, Mark Joseph Stern. Um, And I don't know if you can answer it, but uh, what do you recommend that Americans do right now for their part in this battle. We spent a lot of time last week talking about how this is it. This is for real. This is not a drill. Uh, You know, this is everything you ever worried about for your country happening right now. Um, What can we do? What do you recommend that Americans do to, uh, to join this battle? Is there anything that we can do at this point? So first of all, you vote and you fill out the census. That's number one. You tell everybody you know to do the same. That's number two. Number three, you fight as hard as you can against Barrett's confirmation, even if it's fruitless, and I think it will be. We have to go out there and say this is wrong, this is not right. There should be people in the streets protesting in front of the Supreme Court right now, and it worries me that there aren't. Okay, and then if and when she is confirmed, if Democrats take the presidency and they take Congress by flipping the Senate, the conversation has to be focused on addressing this grievous wrong and recognizing that there is only one proportional response. Okay, I want to see court expansion social clubs cropping up around this country. I want to see court expansion Zoom hangouts where people talk about this because nothing else the Democrats do is going to matter if they don't begin here first. This is it. This is the test. If Democrats fail this, there might not be any coming back from it. Mark Joseph Stern covers the court and much more for Slate.com. I strongly recommend you read him every day. He is one of the smartest, clearest, most level-headed reporters, uh, despite how hysterical he sounds today. You can find him at Slate.com and on the Twitters at MJS underscore DC. Mark, really appreciates joining us today, brother. And uh, well, I want to say I'll look forward to talking in the future, but I'm not so sure I will. (laughs) Hang in there, friend. Thank you, my friend. All right, we'll take a quick break and we will come back with that great big story out of Georgia concerning the election. Uh, And I think, oh, there was a caller with a question. I'll try to answer myself when we come back. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today. That's bradblog.com donate and thanks. Georgia. Georgia. The whole day through. Yeah, the whole 
day, whole week, whole Just month, whole year. Just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Very quickly, uh, a caller rang in uh, to ask, uh, but couldn't uh, stick around, Desi Doyen, is that correct? Um, excuse me. Yes, yes. To ask, how can Democrats expand the court if Barrett rules in an election dispute to prevent them from getting elected at all in November? Well, uh, Democrats can't. See the problem here? That's why this is so horrible. That's why this is so terrible. That's why people need to make so much noise. That's why people need to consider voting in a way out here in California where I know a lot of Democrats feel, oh, you know what? It's going to go blue no matter what. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, I can vote third party. I can stay home. Well, at this point, uh, right now, uh, the trajectory is Donald Trump is hoping to throw this to the Supreme Court so that he can throw this to the U.S. House, where there is a Republican, not a Democratic, but a Republican majority in the U.S. House who will decide who the next president will be. It's a Republican majority because the way it will work constitutionally, if they can't decide uh, uh, if the Electoral College is, uh, if votes are thrown out from the Electoral College, if nobody uh, is certified with getting 270 votes uh, in the Electoral College or more, then it gets thrown to the House. And in the House, they don't vote by uh, who has the majority in the House. They get one vote per state. And right now, uh, Republicans have the majority of state delegations. Yes, if this gets thrown to the House right now, the Republicans will decide who will be the next president of the United States. House, U.S. House of Representatives Republicans. They will decide. And it'll be a hell of a lot harder for them to decide to give the election to Donald Trump if, in fact, uh, uh, Joe Biden not only wins the popular vote by two or three million, as Hillary Clinton did in 2016. But if he wins it by five million, by 10 million, by 20 million. And that means, yes, people in California and other states that are considered blue that think, oh, I can vote third party this year. I don't have to vote at all this year. My state's going to go to the Democrats anyway. Well, think again. Think again about the cost of your vote this year. Yes, in places like solid blue California. Think about it, because it very well may matter right now. That is Donald Trump's plan to win because he can't win outright. But if he can throw it to his cooked, stolen Supreme Court, who can then throw it to the uh, U.S. House of Representatives, that's his way in. So think about that, please. This year when you're voting. All right. uh, Let me get to this story out of Georgia very quickly now that I've uh, used too much time. Uh, uh, Jean Dufort over the weekend, uh, she is a great voting rights uh, advocate, election integrity advocate out of Georgia. Uh, She's been on the show several times. She's a plaintiff in several of the lawsuits uh, that have been uh, moving through the courts trying to prevent the use of 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens in the entire state of Georgia. She wrote uh, late Friday night breaking news. Georgia halts logic and accuracy testing for November elections. Serious database flaw found. She included a link in that tweet to a new filing that was filed that very night in federal court by the Coalition for Good Governance, which, if you follow the Brad blog, 
uh, or the broadcast on a regular basis for the past several years. That is a group founded by Marilyn Marks that has a long-running lawsuit against the state to force the use of hand-marked paper ballots at the polling places there instead of unverifiable, unreliable, easily hacked touchscreen voting systems. Now, Marilyn has been on the show, as has Gene, uh, innumerable times over the years discussing that case. Uh, that case initially resulted in U.S. District Court Judge Amy Totenberg banning the uh, Peach State's 20-year-old Diebold touchscreens. However, the Republican Secretary of State there said, OK, we'll do away with those since the judge found them unsecure, unverifiable and unconstitutional. We will replace them with all new unverifiable, unsecure, unconstitutional touchscreen voting systems at the cost of 100 mil- more than $100 million dollars. Even though everyone, uh, voting systems experts, cybersecurity experts, begged Raffensperger, the secretary of state there, Brad Raffensperger, to replace them with hand-marked paper ballots instead. He didn't. And those systems have been failing since they were first used earlier this year in the primaries, and yet he's planning to use them again. And then we learned on Friday night, as Georgia is busy testing, they call it logic and accuracy testing. They're supposed to test each and every machine to make sure that it accurately records votes as it is supposed to, which means tens of thousands of machines that they're supposed to test in Georgia. And they have been testing them in preparation for uh, early voting, which begins in two weeks. All of that came to a halt on Friday night. Because, as it turns out, as Gene DeFort explained, uh, with in-person voting only 11 business days away, county election officials will be hard-pressed to prepare the new system on time after the serious database flaw was discovered. She notes, with electronic voting systems, each piece must be tested prior to use. The new Georgia system has 80,000 devices that must be tested. She said hand-marked paper ballots instead of these ballot marking device tablets, these BMDs, these touchscreen computers, that that would eliminate 85 percent of the testing that they now have to do once they recreate the database for each and every uh, county in the state now that they have found a flaw in that database that affected every single county. Uh, She noted that the flawed database has halted critical election preparations in Georgia. The secretary of state relied on the vendor. In this case, it was Dominion Voting Systems to program all of these computers across the entire state. So what happened? Well, what we learned uh, in the filing late Friday night from the Coalition for Good Governance uh, was an email from uh, Chris Harvey the uh, election director in the state of Georgia, who sent out an email to all election officials in the state saying, very important, subject line, very important announcement concerning databases. He stated in full, we found out that there is an error in the November database, which will require every county to get a new database for the November 3rd, 2020 election. We are working with Dominion to correct the error and get you a new database as soon as possible. But we don't want you to waste time doing LNA testing, logic and accuracy testing, that will have to be redone with a new database. This will not have an impact, he notes, on absentee ballot processing. Yes, hand-marked paper ballots that are used for absentee balloting. That's all fine. 
It's only the touchscreen systems at the polling place, the electronic poll books and so forth at the polling place that is affected by this. Chris Harvey goes on to say, I'm very sorry to have to tell you this. I know that everyone is working as hard as they can to be prepared. We'll do everything we can to minimize the delay this will cause. I will give you an update Monday on an ETA for your new database. They didn't even have an ETA. I don't even know if it's done. I don't even know if it's available for them to start using today. But as the Coalition for Good Governance uh, points out, once they do have new databases, all 159 counties will have to receive that database physically delivered to them, not electronically transferred. Yes, they must hand deliver these for security purposes to the counties, after which those databases must be tested in each county. Uh, This involves 34,000 touchscreens. That's 34,000 ballot marking devices and 34 ballot marking device printers that go with them. 8,600 poll pads. Those are the electronic voting systems. 3,800 precinct scanners. And on and on. Uh, they figured out that this would take, uh, if, if each BMD takes approximately 15 minutes to test, it will take 8,500 hours and it will be impossible to test those systems in time for early voting to begin. The judge in the case called an emergency hearing uh, on Monday morning. Uh, We'll find out what the judge says, hopefully uh, soon, because she was prepared to make her decision in this case anyway before this emergency came up. I don't know if they're going to be able to vote at all in the state of Georgia this November, and maybe that's how the Republican secretary of state and Republican governor there, the former secretary of state, might want it to be. And it's what's, I think, scariest about this is that this is something that everybody in every state should be paying attention to because Georgia is a very important state. But also it just underscores check your registration, check that your uh, mailing address is accurate with your county so that your vote by mail ballot gets to you. Check all of these things to make sure you are ready with a voting plan no matter where you are. Well, the other thing that this should tell everybody is that uh, in places that use universal touchscreen voting systems like the entire state of Georgia at the polls. Um, Stop. Just stop. Complain. Use a paper ballot, hand-marked paper ballot instead. We are shamefully now doing that here in Los Angeles County. We are using a touchscreen ballot marking device just like the kind they have to suddenly reprogram in the entire state of Georgia. We're doing that here in Los Angeles County. Thankfully, we're now sending out uh, hand-marked paper absentee ballots to every uh, active registered voter. But a lot of people are going to be voting at the polls and they're going to be forced to vote on these touchscreen machines. More disturbingly... In the most Democratic-leaning counties uh, in battleground states like Ohio, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Texas, and yes, the entire state of Georgia, they are now using these touchscreen machines that are so easily failed and flawed. I mean, this is the sort of thing that I have long been warning about uh, and uh, have been ignored by election officials and, yes, by the Democratic Party and Democratic election officials here in Los Angeles and around the country. Check out my interview uh, on that very issue last week on last Wednesday's show. You can download it from bradblog.com for free um, with uh, investigative journalist Art Levine. He wrote about exactly that and how the uh, voting rights groups and the Democrats are just ignoring these concerns. Concerns uh, in a fantastic feature article that was uh, that he published that day last week at WashingtonMonthly.com. Anyway, 
I suspect we will be covering that story for sure more uh, in upcoming broadcasts, hopefully on tomorrow's program. Hopefully you will be here for it uh, when we do, because... You don't hear it covered anywhere else, I'm sorry to say. All right, my thanks to Mark Joseph Stern, my guest today from Slate.com, to my board operator, Federico Garcia, to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We will be back with you tomorrow. Until then, drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at TheBradBlog. See you there. Until we see you here tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Thank you.